and uh, we should be at least having coffee today after after church. Uh, I think I saw a few people sign up. Um, I just want to remind everyone that um, uh, we we want to um, we all want to be givers. We all want to uh, give our gifts and our talents and and even God calls us to give our finances to Him. But one of the ways where we come together is is when we do Sunday school for our kids. And one way we come together is we do food and fellowship together. And, and the fellowship isn't just eating the food. The fellowship is when we talk about Jesus and how Jesus is affecting our life and, and what he's doing in our life. That's when it's true fellowship. It's not a, we're not social, we're, we're socializing, but our fellowship comes when we talk about how God is working uh, in our life and and and. And that's that word koinonia, that, that, um, this time of fellowship. One of the things that we're going to do together uh, in, the, in the coming year, uh, can you believe it, that we, we are, we're moving to 2020, uh, God willing. Um, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to be um, doing a church fast. And I'm just, uh, obviously, it's five weeks ahead, uh, but I just want everyone to put it on your calendars if you want to join us. Uh, but the first Sunday, uh, January 5th, and we'll end it on Wednesday the 15th. That's 11 days. And so I want to encourage you, I want you to pray, and I want you to ask God uh, to, if, if he wants to, you to go on this fast. And, and what we're going to be doing is we're going to be pressing in and asking God for vision uh, for our church. Uh, we're going to ask for vision in our personal life, because God, when we pray in that time of prayer, when I pray, um, he shows me what I need to do for that day. He gives me vision for the day. And so I, I know that I'm, I'm doing what he's asking me to do. And, you know, of course, I, I get off track. But when, but when I ask him for help, he, he helps me. And, and so when we fast, when we, when we seek him, we are, we're putting him first among everything. And, and we're saying, God, we, we want you. It says in Proverbs 3, 9, um, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. And so that's our time. That's our surrendering our, our, ourself before God. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you to put that on the calendar. Um, and then, uh, and then uh, I can't wait for that. It's going to be good. Um, um, let me just begin in prayer. God... I ask you, Lord, uh, that you would come and move in our midst. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would flow through your word and you would cause me to be bold and that you would, you would speak to your people, Lord. We know that you are the teacher, that you're the guide, and, uh, and I'm just your mouthpiece, Lord. Uh, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that I get to share this word that... Um, that you are moving in our midst, God, that you are faithful to continue to guide us step by step. And we just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would just begin to move in our midst, God. We thank you, Lord Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, as we, we come into the season of, of remembering and celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus we, we want to remember why Jesus came. And he came because that he, we would have life. 
And he did it so that Jesus and the Holy Spirit um, would give us power to overcome sin and death. And so when we receive the good news by faith, what we do is we, we call it rebirth or being born again. Um, and that's what we're going to focus on. And so um, a way to think about it is when we have baptisms and when we baptize people, it's really just a sign that they're born again. We, we dunk them in water because there's a spiritual work happening. I believe that there's, there is a spiritual work happening when we dunk them in water and then when we raise them up. And Jesus says that we can't enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. And so being born again starts with repentance, which is a reversal of actions, and then possessing a new mind about God. And so being born again is personal revival of a renewed heart. And so another way to describe it about being born again is and I just, I'm going to open it up for these few questions. But why is it important to keep your birth certificate? Your birth certificate for your ID. So you can get a passport and travel. Say that again. That, that's right. You know your identity. You know where you're from. So this birth certificate validates our citizenship, our age, our identity, our proper name, and the description of, of who the baby is. And so every Christian needs to examine their birth certificate. And so one of the ways to say this is, I'm going to read a quote by Charles Spurgeon, and he's talking about regeneration. It's, re- regeneration is new birth or being born again. And he says, regeneration is an absolute necessity before any soul can enter heaven. And you must not be satisfied with anything short of that. Yet you may be grateful like Timothy from a child you have known the scripture, scriptures or if, like Samuel, that you've been brought up in the house of the Lord from your very early years. And I like this quote because it speaks to the urgency. That time is short, but eternal life is forever. And, and we can grow up reading the Bible and going to church, but God reveals himself personally to us. And he reveals to us that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdoms here on earth. And so in the Bible, the New Testament, the the Jews were were thinking that their Messiah was going to overthrow their Roman government. And Jesus, what he does is he challenges that thought. He challenges their thought on kingdom. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a scripture in John chapter 3. Starting in verse 1. You can turn there if you want. But we're going to look at a story where there's this man of great stature among the Jews. And, and he, he understands that Jesus was sent by God. And in the midst of talking to Jesus, Jesus interrupts him with this kingdom thought. 
we're doing this because we're living a born-again life. Jesus releases us to understand the word. Let me just start reading in verse 1. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. He said, Rabbi, we all know that God sent you to us to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so Jesus interrupts him. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so, like we all do, we start thinking in our natural mind. Nicodemus can't fathom this in the natural, and so he begins to think in the natural. And he says in verse 4, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can, you, how can an old man go back to his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Jesus, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus asks, how are these things possible? And Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And so Jesus, he speaks to Nicodemus about the kingdom of God, about being children of God, and eternal life. All of this is dependent on perf- perfect obedience. And so when we, when we look at, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but in Romans chapter 8 and, and Romans chapter 7, in chapter 8 it talks about this work of the Spirit doing what we can't do which is overcoming sin. And in chapter 7, it teaches us that each of us still wrestles with remaining in dwelling sin. And Paul shares his hate and disgust for sin. And as, it, as we grow in relationship with God, our hate for the sin grows. And so our attitude towards sin changes. It says in Romans seven fifteen, For what I am doing... I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do. But I am doing the very thing I hate. But then in the next chapter, Romans 8, verse 2, it says, The life of Jesus and the power of God's Spirit overcome the thing he hates so much, which is sin. It says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so one of the things we have to ask ourselves when when we say that we're born again is we have to test our own heart with questions like, 
How does sin affect my heart when I sin against God? And do I have genuine godly sorrow towards this sin? How am I, how am I grieving God by this? Do I have genuine disgust for it? And one way to think about it is, William Barclay says, we cannot with any reality say that we love a person and then do things which hurt and grieve that person's heart. Let me read that again. We cannot with any reality say that we love a person and then do things which hurt and grieve that person's heart. And so why is there this need to be born again? The need is that we are all sinners. Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead and your trespasses and sin. Romans 3.23, For everyone has sinned and we have fallen short of the glorious standard. Why do we need to be born again? It, Jesus talked about in, in Matthew 24 that sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love will, that love will grow cold. And so sin will spread and love will get colder and colder. I want everybody to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. And what this is talking about is that love will become colder because people will love themselves more than others. They'll love their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, no longer honoring parents, disobeying their parents. Why? Because there's no, there's no gratitude. It says people will slander others and, and have no self-control, betraying friends, being reckless, being puffed up with pride and loving pleasure rather than God, holding to a form of godliness, but rejecting the power to make them godly. Let me read the scripture. You, you should know this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and, and hate what is good. They will betray their friends and be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that make them godly. He, Paul says, stay away from people like that. We need to be born again because without the gift of righteousness, the condemnation of sin is still attached to us. Condemnation brings eternal judgment. But those who receive this gift of righteousness, they will live in triumph over sin and death through Jesus Christ. Somebody. And so our sin needs to be reconciled for us to have relationship. And so he found us in our sin, and he made us alive, forgiving us of all of our transgressions. It says in Colossians 2.13, When you were dead in your transgressions, and 
the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our transgressions. And so this... I'm just going to skip ahead to my message. The reason why this is important is that in my life, what God did for me was he opened my eyes to see that I knew the scriptures, but I didn't know him. He graciously allowed me to see that I was missing Jesus. And in my life, I needed a personal relationship with him. And so the gospel, it invokes response. And I'm saying this in in gentleness and kindness. The gospel will offend because he's bringing you to peace with God. He's asking you to make a decision. Yes or no, will you follow me? And so we all have to have this response. We all have to decide how are we going to respond? And so what I learned in my personal life was I had to, when I came back to Christ, I had to learn what I, what I said, what I prayed was Jesus. Um, I know I learned a whole bunch in high school and I, I went through the word, word for word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, but I didn't meet you. So I'm just going to throw all that out and I'm going to ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach me. And, and he has been teaching me. And he will teach you. The gospel requires a response from us to repent of our sin and to, and to ask him to be the Lord of our life. And so what he did was he gave me a desire for his word. He gave me this longing for the word. It says in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. He gave me this desire to want to know him. Um, Barclay says, he says it like this, it, it is only when God's grace enters into us and takes possession of us and changes us that we can give to him the reverence and the devotion we have to give, we are to give. It is through Jesus Christ that we are reborn. It is when he enters into possession of our hearts and lives that change comes. Jesus is, he says this in, in John chapter 5. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. And I do not receive glory from men. But, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. 
I have come to my father, I have come in my father's name. I mean, he just teaches us about leadership. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't carve his own way, he follows an example. I have come in my Father's name, and, and you do not receive me. If, if anyone comes in in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? Only the people that, this is my words, only the people that, that agree with you. Continue on. And, and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God. Do you do not think that I will accuse you before, my, before the Father, the one who accuses you, is Moses? Because in the scripture, he, he's talking to the Jews. They, they were seeking hope in Moses. We seek hope in, in one who gives us life, which is Jesus. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Uh, Thomas Adams says, Repentance is, is a change of the mind, and regeneration is a change of the man. John Blanchard says, Becoming a Christian is not making a new start in life. It's receiving a new, new life to start with. And so regeneration is really just this theological term which describes new birth. But what it is, is it's, it's this radical renewal of a person's inner being by the work of God's Spirit. It's the process by which the Spirit transforms us spiritually from a place of sin to a new relationship with God. What it is, is it's a, it's a catalyst that allows the Christian to interact with the Creator. Because we now have a new relationship with God. Why do we need to be born again? Because the world is getting dark and it's getting cold. Because there's no love. We can't live like the world. And act like the world. And love the world. We have to set our minds to the things above. I love being a millennial because my desire is for purpose and direction. And I'm seeking that. I'm seeking that because I want to know that there's a living hope. And this generation of millennials and the next generations after that, the reason why that's important is we are searching for a living hope, a born-again radical revival of the heart. And only God can do that. Only God's Spirit can do that. You are not alone. He did not leave you to be alone. He came to show you the way. When he says, follow me, he's actually saying, follow me. Read me in the word and follow me. Follow what I do. Lead me in, we ask him, lead me in the way. He says in in Psalm 32, 8, I'll instruct you and teach you in which way to go and counsel you with my eye upon you. You have problems at work. He'll be that manifold wisdom. He will speak to you. God loves you. You're not alone. 
Being born again is revival. Being born again means that we're born from above. We're letting the things from above invade our lives. This is an invasion. This is an invasion. Let him invade your life. I've been using the word interrupt, but it's better that it's invasion. He's invading your life. Let him do that. Be led of his spirit. Be led of his spirit. Be led of his spirit. Galatians 5.16. Be led of the spirit. But he says, but I say, walk, in this, walk by the Spirit, and, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. To walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh is something that God gives to us. That's what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Spirit gives us new desires. He changes our personality. I was talking to Nate um, the other day, and, and I, it says in Isaiah fifty nine seventeen that we, uh, we, we talk about the armor of God, but there's just one more piece. It's called the cloak of zeal, where God's Spirit changes our personality, gives us a passion and he changes our personality and our attitude and our way of thinking. Don't forget to put on that cloak of his spirit who transforms your personality where, where he says, Danny, trust me. Trust me. Bring me into the situation where you're weak, I'm strong. Where you're weak, he is strong. Let me end with this. Again, the born-again experience is a revival. Being reborn really means to be born from above and to have this experience with this God who wants to have a relationship with you. He says that he's jealous for you. He's jealous for us. He's jealous for that, that intimate time. And he doesn't want to share you with anything he wants, he wants to invade your life. And so James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when James is saying, he's saying this really hard. He's, he's trying to make a point to us. I'm reading it very gently and soft, but he's coming at us. He's saying, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and what he's saying is, you, you, we can't serve two masters Either we will love the one or hate the other. And so the idol of our generation is this self-will. 
And really, Jesus came and he, and he brought a sword. He brought a sword to, for us to help, help us to, to make a decision about following Jesus. Either we will or we won't. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we're reborn. It is when he enters into the possession of our hearts and lives that the change comes. There has to be lordship. This is a kingdom. It's a kingdom with the king. It means the king's domain. That means we surrender our life. We don't lose our identity as sons. We come and we, we get on our knees and we just serve him and say, Okay, God, I'm not going to lose my identity as a son, but... I know that I am your child of God because I'm born again. I surrender to you, Jesus. Come take possession of my heart and my life and be my Lord, be my King. I surrender it all. Father, we just come before you right now and we just thank you that you are good, that you are good and you're faithful all the time. And that you remind us that there is no greater, no greater living hope than the one that we have in Jesus. And so we just, we just surrender right now. If, if we don't know Jesus and, and we're not born again, um, Lord, help us to come ask. Lord, we, we seek you right now. We ask you, God, that you would... Come and capture our heart. That if this message is speaking to any one of us, that we want to know that we're saved, that we're born again, we will know because we don't want to grieve heart. We don't want, we don't want to grieve God's heart. And so, God, I just ask that you would begin to stir in our midst. I ask you, God, that you would begin to stir up our hearts because this is a new generation. This is a new season. And I thank you, God, that you are mighty to protect your church and that you're able to do all things. And I I give you praise. I praise you, Father. I praise you, Father. You are good. You are good all the time those who want to serve you will serve you. Those who love you will love you, will pick up their cross and follow you. God, we thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand up together. If you want to make a decision about following Jesus, we all have to decide that we don't want to live in sin anymore. And we all have to make a decision to ask God to be our Lord and Savior. And in that order, that He's our Lord, He's our King, and He's our Savior. He's the one who will deliver us through every situation. When God gives us a commandment, He gives us the grace 
the power to walk in that commandment. And so our, our hope is not that he will leave us alone and we have to figure this out. It's that he gave us the spirit to, to be obedient, to obey him. And that's God's grace that we couldn't do it in our own strength, but he works it in our life. He he helps us to overcome sin when we ask him for help. Amen. Let's sing this last song.